if you were to look at textbook prices, they've actually increased by more than 800, and, so some claim 847% since 1982. So that's like three, four times the rate of inflation. So you've got all these graphs on the likes of the Financial Times, The Economist, where you see inflation going mm -hmm. up quite steadily and you should see the textbook prices skyrocketing. Coming up on today's show, we're talking about a tech innovation for students. We're talking about a textbook subscription model. The company's called Palego, and their founder and CEO, Gauthier Van Maldren, is our guest. You are listening to Tech Talks. This is the twice-weekly podcast hosted by myself, David Savage. Every week, we are discussing the latest challenges facing the technology and emerging digital sectors. So, whether you're looking for some expert insight from leading figures, well, we've got that in the form of an interview, or the latest technology news, this is the podcast for you. So, welcome to the show. Today I'm joined by Robin again. How are you? I'm good. I'm very good. How are you? Ah, good, good. I'm super excited for this because I came over to your desk a little bit ago and you were listening to it and I said, oh, hey, you know, what do you think of this interview? And you said, oh, this, this one's interesting. Don't say that for everyone to hear. I didn't mean it like that. You've taken it out of context. <laughs> just, just all the others are obviously not <laughs> no, interesting. I don't mean it like that. So I think with this one, I really resonate because yeah, I was a student not too long ago, wasn't I? I had the same problems and this came out the year I graduated, I was like, oh, that's interesting. How many textbooks did you have for law? Oh, quite, quite a few. Which law, which version, well, sorry, what kind of law did you study? So no, it wasn't like a specific area, it was just general LLB law, and you cover different modules in each year. Yeah. So, a range of anything from criminal, to tort, to land, to uh, European. So that's a, that's a lot it's of textbooks. A lot of textbooks, and they're all very expensive. Some of them you wouldn't use at all, but you were told to buy them, and you found yourself not really using it or using like one or two pages, or some of them that you would literally live off and read them every day, but you could never know when you're buying wow. them for your module. I, I bet you're an exciting person. Oh, just so much reading, <laughs> and you, and you can never rely on the library because they'd always. <laughs> So, you know, people would always be taking them off the shelves. Well, yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Universities have thousands of students and yet only ever seem to have two or three of the books. That it's you, ridiculous. <laughs> that every, essential reading. Yeah, and they're just it's just so expensive. So, yeah, I had to buy certain essential textbooks for for each like each module. Anyway, we're, we're going to get into this. <laughs> um, so we'll, we'll leave that for a second. Very quickly... Uh, tour guide Robin um, you've been to Cardiff this weekend any recommendations? Oh, for the first time ever I had such a good time so well for the first time ever you ever. had a good time no <laughs> it's the second time you're doing this to me um, go on no, I went to uh, there's a lovely tapas restaurant there called have you been to Cardiff before recently? Uh, I've been to Cardiff not recently not it was recently. many years ago oh there's a tapas restaurant there Mm -hmm. uh, called Bar 44 which was amazing yeah. I'd recommend what did, you, what did you have? oh we had loads of stuff we had like these potatoes uh, peppers I had sliced beef because Joss is vegetarian um, we also had oh I can't think that's off my head what we had I have a picture I can show you later posted it on my Instagram story but... <laughs> what, what brilliant audio content we're making for the audience <laughs> yeah. I can't I'm not very good at painting a picture <laughs> but we then um, went to two different cocktail bars went to one called Rum and Fizz and then went to one called Gin and Juice, and they're right next to each other. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, but yeah, not the most imaginative. No, I think they were owned by the same company because they were they were literally next door. Okay. Same interior, same kind of style, and everything. And the next day, I went to watch the rugby. Nice. First ever rugby match I've watched live as well. 
And we lost. Was, I know, but not by... Uh, yeah, we did lose. But I loved it. It was <laughs> so Well, you had a lovely fun. weekend. You <laughs> had a lovely weekend. What did you do? Watch cricket, uh, mainly. Oh, so I win at the weekend finals. Oh, right, fine, okay. <laughs> anyway, we will get into today's interview. Um, it's with Gautier. Uh, he is the founder and CEO of Pelego. Um, but afterwards, myself and Robin will have some thoughts on this. And then later on in the show, I'm going to be having a quick chat with an entrepreneur who has some binaural, I've not pronounced that correctly, uh, <laughs> headphones, basically 3D sound in-ear headphones developed for the gaming market. So today we're talking to Gautier from uh, Pelego. How are you doing this morning? Good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. And you're co-founder of the business. Yeah. Launched in Jan 2017. Correct. For people who aren't familiar with the brand, who are Pelego? So Pelego means the verb to read in Latin. Mm-hmm. I scan over, I read over. Um, and basically we're on a, on a mission to build the world's online learning library. So just to give you a bit of background about the story, when I was at university, I was buying lots of textbooks mm-hmm. and I was only reading you know, small chapters or sn- small snippets of the book. Um, and I thought, look, when it comes to textbooks, I never really want to own the book, right? I just want to consume the content. So a subscription service would make perfect sense. Similar as to how I use a subscription product for movies, mm-hmm. for music, and even now for uh, my phone, why do I need to buy print textbooks? Um, and so we started building a subscription service uh, in January 2017. Yeah. Where did you go to university? Um, so I did my undergrad in Italy yeah. in a university called Bocconi. And then I did my postgrad here in the UK uh, at Cambridge. Cool. Do you mind me asking what you studied? Yeah, economics and entrepreneurship. Okay. I imagine those books were fairly heavy going. Then. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Some accounting books, for like 400 pages, you know, just like big stacks. Look, this does resonate with me. I studied politics at Essex and um, there were a hell of a lot of reading materials for the course and it always felt like the books were out at the library. So you always were, were trying to buy the textbooks. And the, I, I said to you before we hit record that I think this, the secondhand bookshop was probably the most frequented place I went on campus, literally recycling textbook after textbook, getting money back and buying a new one. Yeah. Um, so it, it totally tallies with my experience. But you gave some stats about the inflation rate around textbooks. Yeah, so it's really interesting. It's all over the news, but if you were to look at textbook prices, they've actually increased by more than 800, and, so some claim 847% since 1982. So that's like three, four times the rate of inflation. So you've got all these graphs on the likes of the Financial Times, The Economist, where you see inflation going mm-hmm. up quite steadily and you should see the textbook prices skyrocketing. Which is, Kind of crazy when I think about the fact that student finances are stretched more and more and more than they've ever been. Yeah. Um, so how, how have you got about this? You're, you're obviously, you're Belgium. Yeah. You studied in Italy and in the UK. Yeah. Have you launched this exclusively in the UK or with certain universities or is it a bit, bit broader than that? So our ambition, if we look at the industry right now, textbook publishing only works for about 40 million students. You've right. got over 200 million postgrad students, so undergraduate, uh, masters and postgrad students in the world. Um, our dream is to become a worldwide product, but our core focus is first the UK, then Europe, mm. and then we can see where we'll go next. And have, how have you gone about launching it then? Have you partnered with certain universities? or how, I mean, how do you get it out there that, so that students know there's a service? Yeah, so I, I mean, the first sort of 18 months of our uh, company history was all about closing the supply. So right. working with publishers to find a sustainable model to bring the industry back to growth. 
Um, and now, I mean, in terms of the way we market students, uh, one of the biggest channels for us to promote Pelega is actually referral. So mm -hmm. if you invite two friends, you get a month for free. Uh, our NPS score is very high as well. So what's quite interesting is once a student uses Pelego, finds the value in the product, they promote it with a lot of their friends. Um, other channels that we use are, for example, student ambassadors. So if right. you promote Pelego locally on campus, we'll give you, for example, three, four pounds. Um, and then we, of course, we use a bit of online um, advertising as well. But we've got about six channels in our marketing mix, which work quite well. And am I right in thinking that it's uh, $12.99 a month? It's £12 if you're a student pounds, right, okay. uh, a month. But we've got an annual plan. So if you pay a year up front, it's £96. What does that look like? Is that is that an app? Because you'd imagine, every, you know, startups they all have an app, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. But actually for, for, for textbook and for reading, I would imagine it's actually better on desktop or or kind of, you know, the, the internet rather necessarily than, than an in-app experience. Yeah, that's really interesting. So we actually launched initially just a desktop product. Yeah. Just like you, I was like, never am I going to use a textbook on the go, right? But just as we've seen the rise of mobile-first banks, mobile-first products, we actually see that more than 30% of our users are reading through the app. So the fact that we have this mobile first reading experience is again something super important for the generation that are currently consuming textbooks. Any courses that you've kind of, I'd imagine that there might be certain groups or, or sectors of you talking to publishers where you've gone, you know what, well, let's let's start with finance or let's start with politics or let's start with history. Is that something that you've kind of done? Yeah. So the way we approach the market, we've got 2 million, 2.2 million students in the UK. Yeah. Um, what are your biggest cohorts of student numbers? Business, economics, and management, you've got over 400,000 students. Yeah. So it makes most sense for us to first use that as a, as a way to enter the market. So if we to look at our cohort fits, we're doing very well in polit politics, social sciences, uh, business economics. We're doing less well, unfortunately, in like medicine. Right. Um, and the issue behind that is medicine textbooks are even more expensive. You know, like an introduction to biology could be like six, seven hundred pounds. So we're getting there, but it's just working with those publishers to, to get that content. Well, I suppose the reason that I'm asking that is if there are certain categories that you can see you're performing particularly well in, People don't just learn at university. I suppose that if you know that medicine isn't performing as well as, say, politics, but politics, there are people studying in further education rather than higher education, or there are people self-studying at home, that might give you an opportunity to tap into different markets. Yeah, actually, that's one of the most interesting things I've, I've noted since launching Pelego. 26% of our users today are not even students, lifelong learners. It's one of the biggest trends in education right now. Mm. You might have studied politics at university, but now you're working in, in tech. I'll be honest, I've, I've, I've not really used my degree. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. And I think most people, it's the same case. Yeah, yeah. Um, so with Palego, not only are you targeting students, but you're targeting corporates and professionals who mm. might want to dip into a coding book or a book on leadership. And I think that's the breadth and depth of content is really where we're offering a huge value proposition. To so, so is there an opportunity there for you for kind of commercial partnerships, corporate partnerships? Because if you, if you think about the, the workforce, that we, there is this pipeline problem. A skill set, what, 20 years ago might have lasted you 30 years, now it lasts you five years. They're reckoning that in five years, someone's skill set will last you about 18 months. Yeah, we already have like 20 corporate clients right. who pay Pelego for their employees as a corporate right, library. Okay. So a good example, uh, Airbnb, they bought a few accounts. And if you work at Airbnb in the UK, you can use Pelego for your books and leadership and sales, but also you can use Pelego to learn a bit about coding. Um, so instead of having, in a lot of organizations, you used to have like a library where you could pick up books. Mm -hmm. Pelego, you get access to over 200,000 books just on your phone. 
and it's paid for by your company. How important do you think it is that you're getting people who are kind of bought in? Obviously, they're gonna, they, they need to be bought into the startup culture piece, but yeah. I was having an interesting conversation recently where uh, someone who'd come out of corporates, had a huge amount of experience in marketing in corporates, was getting turned away by startups because they, they, they said, you know, you can, you can deliver immediate value, but we're worried that you might not be as bought in or, or as prepared to work with smaller budgets and smaller teams. Is that a thing? I mean, do, do you kind of look at that and go, oh, we're a little bit nervous about hiring someone maybe who's got 20 years worth of corporate experience. We'd rather someone who fits the 25 to 30 first couple of companies mold. Yeah, it's a good question, actually. So if we look at Palego, we've got a few people who've got 20, 25 years of experience, yeah. specifically in publishing. I do believe, though, when it comes to like marketing, you've got some huge players. In my market specifically, Amazon, they don't do a subscription product, but they can acquire students buying their textbooks, so like on print. We don't have those budgets. We don't have that scale. So you have to be kind of, I call it a scrappy hustler to find other ways to get to your users at either zero cost or very little cost. <clears throat> and the issue with people who've worked in corporates for maybe 10, 15 years, they have the luxury of big budgets and they have the luxury of, um, how could I put it? They have the luxury of um, not having to be efficient in their spend. So if we were to look at our marketing dollar spend, as they call it, we have to, with $1, make sure we hit three users. Whilst in a big corporate with $1, you could hit maybe one user. So we need to make sure our budget goes so much further because we have limited resources. Yeah, of course. Okay, look, last last quick question. It'd yeah. just be interesting to know where you're going um, kind of over the next half a year or a year. And just to wrap in a second question into this, you mentioned Amazon. Yes. I suppose when you're building this company short term and also longer term, is there a nervousness that, you know, they've already got Audible. Would it be easy for them to replicate a similar service? And how do you make sure that you've got something that's slightly different? It's interesting. So I'm out uh, raising funding right now and everyone asks you, what about Amazon? Yeah. But you can say that in every single business, yes, right? Yes, true. Um, they might go into podcasting, for example. Well, they, they, yeah, <laughs> certainly. Yeah. I don't know why they haven't, but... Exactly. But um, I believe, um, look, Amazon is doing a bit of everything, mm. but nothing very, very well. If you look at Amazon Prime or even their book products, the recommendation algorithm is quite old-fashioned. It doesn't really work. I believe you can build an amazing niche business that can become absolutely massive. So what we want to do is one thing and one thing well is build a platform where students can study smarter, faster in a simple space. Um, so that kind of answers hopefully the Amazon question. Sorry, so, so do you think it's the recommendation thing that's the silver bullet? I mean, if you look at the difference no, between, I mean, so between Netflix it. and Prime, yeah, yeah, like Netflix does recommend shows better than Prime, like just thinking about yeah. that. No, so for me, the user experience on Amazon is they do a bit of everything. Like I've got Prime, right, okay. but I can also buy gardening tools. They do everything and they don't do one thing super, super well. Right. Netflix is just your video platform and they've done a fantastic job also right. with their in-house content. It's a, it's a great experience. And I believe you can build a similar business for learning. Mm. Um, so in terms of where we're taking the products, Palego until now has been, you go on, you get your book. Where we want to take the product is this efficient, faster study, studying or learning environment so a huge problem in education right now is i think it's about in the us i don't have the statistics for europe 40 percent of the students do not finish university the dropout rates are absolutely massive so my dream with palego is you join you have your books but you also might have integration where you can talk to tutors or you might find solutions to your textbooks 
So you create this efficient learning environment and you go from a learning as a service product from instead of just a, an online subscription book product. Interesting. It might be worthwhile catching up in about a year or so. Definitely, definitely, definitely. <laughs> Look, um, I feel I've taken enough of your time this morning, but thank you very much for sharing some insight in, in the kind of the, into the, the mission and, and the problem that you're trying to fix. And I know you're in the middle of a funding round, so I hope you get some sleep and good luck with that. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. So, um, did this take you back to your Latin class at school? Yeah, it did. Did you actually do Latin at school? No, sorry, I misheard that first word you said and I tried to play it off. But <laughs> actually, can't, well, a lot of um, legal terms are, are in Latin. That is true, so, I'll give you that. Yeah, but it, it did take me back. But as I said, that, that literally came out just after after I graduated. I, I loved it when, when, when um, Gauthier said to me, the Latin verb, you know, I scan over, I read over. And I was like, I have no, no idea. No idea. <laughs> My dad did classics. Oh, Not did so he? much me. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but cool yeah. name, yeah. Yeah, a very cool name. It's just, I, I wonder how, like, because one thing I was thinking about is what, what's the scale of this? How many books do they have on there? How big's their, their library? And how, how relevant would it be for students like me doing law, where a lot of it's reading based? Like, mm. all, all my tutorials, all of my classwork, everything is just, you know, evidence and reading based. Thinking, would that, like, at the time, would, would the scale of it have been suitable for me? Is that something that I could have used as a student? Don't know. But it would have been handy to have instead of having these massive textbooks and only using one page of it. I was crippling on your back, I remember that much. What? Having all those textbooks? Yeah. 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 It's not like they're light. No, they're absolutely massive. And yeah, but but then there were some textbooks that I would, like, that I was better off actually buying because I did use them all the time. So Mm. it was just a massive hit and miss with it. One of the, as I think I said in the interview, I think I said this, um, one of the absolute hubs on campus at Essex University was the second-hand bookshop. Really? Yeah, because you'd buy something and then you'd trade it in at the end of the year and kind of trade it for whatever textbooks you needed the next oh, year. It's this constant recycling. always forget to do that. Always, every year. I've pissed myself off every single time. I remember I had one book that cost me 80 quid and I lost the receipt for it. I couldn't, I couldn't do anything with it. Now that's interesting, right? <laughs> because before we started recording, we were talking about the price and you said to me, 96 quid for the year seems expensive. But you just said there that a textbook was 80 quid on yeah, its own. But the thing is, that the, the reason why I said that comment is because what if there isn't a book on there that I need and I had to buy it anyway? Because I remember him saying that they'd like, for, for medicine students, for example, mm. not as popular with because they can't, you know, find a deal with the publishers and get the books and the people are going to need. But it only needs to have maybe three or four books on there that you need for it really to be quite cost effective. Yeah, but I guess it depends on, as I was saying earlier, when, when, you, when you start a course, you're given, okay, like before you start your, your tutorials, you need to get all these books ready for when you start, so you buy them in advance. Yeah, sure. Knowing. But I guess that's where actually their marketing works really well because um, it's referral-based and it's student ambassador on campus based. So it's very much word of mouth. So if someone on your course comes up to you and goes, you should use this model Mm. because I'm using it and it's got all the textbooks we need, then you're gonna buy it. Yeah. And if it's if it's student to student, peer to peer going, yeah, absolutely it's got the books that we need on there and it's, you know, less than a tenner a month effectively. Yeah. Why why wouldn't you? I mean the thing that shocked me and it still shocks me now, is that 30% are reading textbooks through the app. I just, maybe I'm really, really getting old, but I can't get my head around that. Because when I was when I was studying, I scribbled and annotated over everything. Yeah. But, you know, 30% read through the app. So I whatever I might think, yeah. I'm clearly out of step with what's really going on. I don't think so. Because I, even with regular readings, I, I read a lot 
anyway and I can't I can never get like a Kindle or something mm. I have to have like it in front of me holding the paper because I just can't I feel like I'm not really like a page turner that mm. I bring something off a screen and I'm saying when having a textbook I like marking pages and coming back to pages and I guess it's more of a visual thing for me I don't don't really know but I guess all the same right mm. having something in front of you and being able to draw on it and stuff so I was the same so I don't think they'll ever die out I don't reckon reading for an app whatever I completely overtake regular. well I mean yeah Kindle has existed for a number of years and Kindles are brilliant especially when you go on holiday but mm. I do like physical books yeah admittedly textbooks are a little bit different yeah well then also if, if I couldn't find something in a textbook even the recommended ones that I, that I wanted you know, to use and have for my evidence for an essay mm. you go online a lot anyway and, and look at articles that's but why desktop will work better than regardless of whether or not even at the tender age of 23 you're also <laughs> a dinosaur uh, I clearly am at age 34 you know 847% Increase in, in the in the price of books since 1982, three to four times the rate of inflation. It's ridiculous. It is ridiculous, and we know that it's getting more and more expensive to be a student. So, mm. in that context, absolutely, whether whether or not there are slight nuances around, would that be the right learning style for me? And everyone's different. There's a business model, and it's sustainable, and it's really positive. Yeah. Then I reckon, though, if, if that did start to increase with, with online usage and apps and whatever, the price of that would probably end up going why? up as why? well. Why? Why would it go up, though? Well, if you've got, if, Well, you wouldn't need to if you tap into a larger market. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, <clears throat> but I think you're always going to have that percentage of people. I think probably a large percentage of people that prefer to have a textbook in front of them. It's not like Netflix, where I guess they're putting their subscription up bit by bit because mm. <laughs> the budgets of the programs they're making themselves are just getting more bigger, and more bigger. extravagant. I don't pay my Netflix account. My stepdad does. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> his account for years. I've never had that problem, but you know, can't relate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, the, the other thing that this is, this, from a scalability point of view, this is a dream business because, of course, um, ongoing learning, you know, lifelong learning is now a huge trend. And we talked about it in that interview. And this might start in, in universities, but schools, further education and the world of work, we need to continually think about our skill sets and keep revisiting uh, what we know yeah. and how we apply it. Pelago you might kind of go it's universities you've got a customer set and they're only going to you know they're only going to be there for three or four years but no these people are going out into the world of work yeah and if they've used it at university they're far more likely to use it three four five years down the line when they need to learn another skill set for for for, um for their everyday life yeah i was quite surprised at court of the users were people that weren't in in university which just shows what a good business model this potentially is from a scalability point of view yeah but I also thought when I was listening I such, such a good idea such a, a brilliant well yeah you liked this interview I shut up but I didn't mean it like that I liked all the other ones you're going to make me look bad Dave <laughs> no, no no I didn't mean it like that but I mean I just think it's such a good a good gap in the market because there's so you get the people attending university each year is, is increasing there's the same problem that everyone has throughout of buying these textbooks, and especially mm. people that come from less affluent families that are struggling to afford these and can't go to a library because, of, as you said, only three or four of them on a shelf for so, so many students. I think it's such a good idea to eliminate that, yeah. that problem. Last quick point I want to make. Um, I love his talk um, about 
if you work at Pelago, you have to be scrappy. You know, we reach users at zero cost. A little while ago, we had the, the interview with Darren Good from LV, and I was kind of incredulous about the fact that startups were turning down this guy who worked for like Apple from a marketing point of view. And I still think that's ridiculous. But I do think that Gauthier really clearly articulated why just because you've got great marketing experience, say, uh, from a large corporate, doesn't mean that you'll immediately be able to help the startup because you might come from an environment where there's huge amounts of budget and you don't necessarily have to think about the efficiency of your spend in quite the same way. And I suppose that is a big mindset change for people. Yeah, I guess getting someone like that on board could potentially ruin the process as well, especially if it's a senior boat, someone's coming in and trying to help a startup. Yeah, I mean, I just think that there is that clear, okay, I, I can see why this is different from a mentalities perspective. Yeah. Anyway, Robin, thank you for joining us for the bit first part of the show. Bit of pleasure as always. Stay tuned. Uh, because afterwards, or after this break rather, we've got a chat with an entrepreneur, an inventor of a brand new form of listening. <laughs> I've tried them, they're good. Okay. Uh, but equally, Pelago are hiring, folks. Um, they are looking for people to join their team right now. So uh, I will put a link in the show notes. And if you're interested from what we've said, why not get in touch with them and see if you want to join their team. But... Uh, we'll go to our advert break and yeah, we'll be right back after this message. It's nearly the summer holidays, but school isn't quite out because General Assembly, a pioneer in education and career transformation, specializing in today's most in-demand skills, have an offer for you. So GA offer a wide range of programs in web development, data science, user experience design, digital marketing, product management, and lots more. And for you, for our listeners, they've got an offer of 25% off their classes and workshops by applying the code TECHTALKS25 at the checkout. There are some terms and conditions. They asked me to ramp them. Frankly, that's not going to happen. But I can tell you that the code is valid until August the 31st. And it's not applicable to GA's full-time, part-time or online circuit courses. Once the code's applied, workshop tickets are non-transferable. The discount code cannot be retroactively applied to workshop tickets already purchased or used in conjunction with other discount codes. One thing, as a former technology recruiter, I can tell you that there's a real shortage of some of these skills in the market. So with all this beautiful weather that we're having, I reckon there are far worse uses of your time than getting down there and doing a bit of continuous learning. Welcome back to Tech Talks. In the second half of today's show, we are not actually doing a tech news story as we usually do, per se, but we are joined on the line by Marco Callahan. How are you? Excellent, David. How are you doing today? Not too bad. Not too bad at all. Now, we've got you on the line because at Unbound, you were keen to talk to us about Drown Limited and... I'm going to say this probably, uh, actually, I'm, I'm not going to try and say the audio-based word that I can ever pronounce, but you've got 3D headphones, for want of a better exp- explanation. I mean, could you could you just tell us a little bit more about them? Absolutely. These are something we've been working on for about seven years. They uh, are different than any other headphone on the market because they're in-ear, kind of like in-ear monitors, but they're tactile earphones. So what they're doing is when you plug them into just a regular stereo jack with a 3.5 millimeter um, jack, then you're getting response from three different ways to your brain. 
So we've got in-ear bone conduction. So the temporal bone inside your ear canal, uh, we have a sound wave that breaks on it that actually causes in-ear bone conduction. We're using the three different spatial nerves that are in the cartilage of your ear uh, to recreate the way that Mother Nature sends sound our way. And we take the audio wave from a 10 millimeter driver, and it's this graphene driver we've tuned specifically for our audio guide. And it's shaped perfectly. So when it comes into your ear canal, there's been no bounce, and it's just the, the most perfect reproduction of sound that you can experience. So you tried it yourself, and it's, it's different than have... anything else. Yeah, um, no, the, the, the kind of the soundscape has a depth that is quite extraordinary. And, and I know that you kind of talk about the fact that if used with a, a VR headset, you are tricked into thinking that you've, you've entered the virtual world. And I did find it interesting that on LinkedIn, I saw a post that someone had, had, had uh, put up there about neurosurgeons training with VR. And you said, wouldn't it be amazing if they were using uh, your, your headphones because they would get a much more rich kind of training experience. Yes, we've had, uh, we're actually at Harriet Watt University. They brought us into a new big, huge building there called The Grid, which has been designed for VR, AR, and gamers. And one of their big things is training surgeons uh, with VR, um, as well as gaming and all the fun stuff. Uh, but with the virtual reality, we've managed to actually have people feel that they're in an operating theater. So you physically feel like you've left the space that you're in and you've entered the virtual world. Um, it's like Red Dead Redemption. We've got all of our, all of our guys uh, in the lab had kind of stopped playing because they'd all gone through it. And then we managed to get them all their own prototypes. And that one game, uh, one of our guys tried it and he was like, this is completely different. We're hearing stuff we didn't know was there. And we're in the world, like we're actually the spherical sound that they've created is so perfect that when you close your eyes, you would swear that you're actually in the Red Dead Redemption world. Whilst you're describing people there who are finely attuned to gaming and they know what they're looking for and they play it all the time and, and I suppose all of their senses and whatever else are kind of attuned to the gaming environment, uh, you, you kindly let me try a pair on and I flinched when I heard gunshots, which I'd never done with any gaming experience or VR experience of any kind, I'd never physically flinched involuntarily due to the sound that was being produced. Well, it's like as if you were actually getting shot at. The response from your ear uh, in your brain is so accurate as to reality that your brain thinks you're being fired upon. So we had Lolithon, uh, who's a really big VR um, advocate, and he was playing, uh, I forget the name of the game, but it was one where you're shooting guns and one of the guns, when you eject a cartridge, the metal cartridge flies out, lands about six feet away from you, drops on the ground. And Lalathon was saying with the VR headset on, I can hear exactly where that's landing. Let me try something. I'm going to close my eyes. So he closed his eyes, ejected a cartridge, shot it, and actually just from hearing it, shot it, even though it was like eight feet away in the virtual world in a little tiny cartridge, shot it dead on. So the, your, your instincts can actually kick in while you're wearing these earphones. 
Look, it's a lot of fun, obviously, for gaming. We've also touched on the kind of the amazing teaching um, applications for immersive style environments, which is difficult to replicate in a, in a classroom. So they're, they're a wonderful piece of kit and innovation. Uh, Mark, how much are Drown going to hit the market for? Because they're high-end headphones. They create an amazing soundscape. You'd imagine they're going to be quite expensive. Drown is launching on Indiegogo tomorrow. We're doing a crowdfunding campaign and the retail price is going to be 165 American dollars. On Indiegogo tomorrow, uh, you will be able to purchase them for 99 American dollars. Uh, what would be great is if once we get off the line, you could send me a link through and we'll stick that link to um, Indiegogo on the show notes so that people can access it there if they want to have a go themselves. That would be brilliant. Uh, look, Mark, thanks for, for coming on the show. It is fun. I have tried on the headphones, as I've said. They are they are genuinely a lot of fun uh, and they're not as expensive as you might imagine. So people go go check, it, check them out, drown. Yeah, good luck. I hope the launch goes amazingly well, Mark. And um, fingers crossed, eh? I'm, I'm sure that people will begin to see your brand popping up in, in, in retail outlets soon. Thank you, David. We're really looking forward to it. And we're going to be at GamesCon this week and just look forward to meeting uh, everybody there and doing lots of demos. I think all that that leaves me to do is to wrap up today's show. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to Mark for dropping in and telling us about Drown. Thanks to Gauthier for being our guest. Um, quick reminder, one o'clock on Wednesday, Disruptive Live are carrying the second tuck shop. We are open for all of the sugary goodness, sugary rush over your lunchtime. Again, lots of tech news to get through. But until then, this has been Tech Talks, the podcast brought to you by Harvey Nash.